love will be enough. We sing. We praise. Sometimes the words, they're hard to sing. But that word, enough, it's hard not to think of Thanksgiving. Do you have enough to eat? Do you want more? <laughs> it's one of the few meals, oftentimes, that you just put your hands up. I, I, I just can't. I can't eat. But realistically, we all enter this season with great expectations, don't we? In spite of losses over the year, or even temporary losses, like um, sicknesses so you can't get together with the family, or hosts that all of a sudden do get sick and you have to rearrange everything for that meal. Or brothers or sisters who are away. Maybe they're serving. Maybe they're working. Maybe they're protecting us. But we all, if we had an ideal situation, we would always have, well, nobody's sick. Always enough food. No arguments or conflicts, right? Kids will always offer at the end of the meal to clean up. And do the dishes. How, how amazing would that be? But if we're honest, we get to a place where we're a little disappointed. Lots of good things, and some have personalities like that. Well, I'm always going to see the good in things. No problem here. But even if you always see the good in things, you struggle at times. You remember maybe years back. Or, or there was a certain pudding that just wasn't there. Right? Or the dressing was dry. How gross. You know, I mean, you look forward all year to one meal. And the dressing doesn't turn off. And it's appointments. But there's only one. Only one that never disappoints. That's Jesus. That's Jesus. And as we kind of think through the Gospel of John, which we're just kind of immersing ourselves in, well, we see that Jesus is the focal point. We're here to worship we're here to pray. We're here to encourage. And, and so many times, even after a holiday, we come crawling in. Even some of you mentioned to me, my guests left 20 minutes before I came to church. And there was a little sparkle in her eye. All right? Just a little one. But the truth is, we come, we, we're depleted, we need to hear from God's Word, we need to refocus, we need to be able to praise and adore God. And sometimes we're tired. We are. But you know what our hope is and our prayer, and even as our team prayed this morning, Lord, we just want to encourage people. We want them to see you better. 
We want them to float out of here, not because anything is different, but because they've renewed their eyesight. There's no more sleep in it. They can see Jesus a whole lot better. We're here teaching families to know and obey and enjoy Christ. Certainly to be salt and light wherever we go. But realistically, we want each one of you to know Jesus differently. That's our hope. Sometimes we talk about Jesus so much, it's okay, Jesus. You know, it's the perfect thing. Every time your kids get in the car, if you have kids, what did you learn today? Jesus. Good answer. What about Jesus? Talked a lot about Jesus. Okay, well, it's just, it's, it's a good answer. But more than that, it really is life for each one of us. And so I hope, honestly, as we enter a season to celebrate, for some of you, you've done a lot of Christmases. Oh, my. You have. You've even started the shopping, or some of you, I, I know, actually are done with shopping and you have everything wrapped. One of you in this whole place. But, but sometimes we forget. This is so amazing that Jesus, God, came to earth. And we're going to focus and spend four weeks focus on the different visitations that happened that changed people's lives, literally. And Jesus was involved with all of those. So as you leave one Thanksgiving and begin to focus on another Christmas, and things get hectic, and maybe they're already hectic, I'm just going to encourage you as your shepherd to... Enjoy what God has. Can't make that happen. We can't. But hopefully, you are going to see Jesus again in new light. And that if for some reason this has just become another activity, or another season, or another gathering, that God might rekindle your heart so that you might accept Understand the joy and the peace and the always and the always love that's there. Nowhere else can you get that. As I said, we've been spending time and we're we're gonna go through our text today in John. We're gonna put that aside for the month of December. We're gonna pick it back up in January. But we're gonna be again looking and spending some time with Jesus today. John flat out loved Jesus. He wrote his gospel at the end of his death, but he had an agenda. His agenda was found in chapter 20, verse 31. Now this time, if any of you would have sent me a clip of your kids who have memorized this, I would say, da, 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 but we don't have a clip. Just because all of you are rebellious. <laughs> all right? So I am not going to say it one more time. Because I could get cranky. 
And that would not be very godly. <laughs> but, hey folks, this is a worthy verse to remember. In fact, we were talking about verses at Thanksgiving and my mind froze. So your pastor was not so good at this verse. But I want to remind you, John chapter 20, verse 31, John looked at this. And he says, you know, what I want to do is, is help you guys remember who Jesus is so that you continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to keep focusing on that. Now, each week we watch Jesus, we learn from Jesus, but we're finding out that Jesus seeks out the lost, the wandering, and offers them hope. We've already seen the first few chapters that lost religious folks who are dead, he offers life. Lost neighbors who are struggling and, and trying to find life everywhere else says, hey, I am the living water, I want to give you water that will satisfy you. Disciples who even at times are aimless, not even sure of what their role is or their goal is, but he gives them an assignment with a purpose. There's desperate dads with six sons who are just about to die. And Jesus says, for a long distance, hey, go on home. Your son's going to be fine. And last week, a man who struggled for 38 years of no hope for healing, Jesus chose him and healed him miraculously by the word of his mouth. Today we hang out with Jesus, but it is a portion of Scripture that doesn't have a lot of story in it. It is Jesus literally pouring out his heart. He goes toe-to-toe with the Pharisees. And the Pharisees, as most of you know, they don't see, well, all the things that Jesus sees. They're heavily into religion, and Jesus is heavily into relationship. In fact, all the things that the Pharisees focus on bring burdens and death. And all the things that Jesus offers is life. How cool is that? But they're livid. They're livid because Jesus just broke the Sabbath and made claims that he is equal to God. Well, today, Jesus makes seven claims about himself. And he reveals five powerful witnesses to these claims. Now, realistically, over the years, people have rejected the claim that Jesus is God. And we're going to talk about this and, and try to help you understand how important it is for us to realize that Jesus is 100% God and 100% man. It does not make any sense. It is an antinomy. Both things are absolutely 100% correct. Today's text is one of the most powerful passages in the Bible. Maybe the most powerful passage in the Bible that talks about the deity of Christ. That Jesus was the Son of God. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would open our eyes today. I pray that you would encourage us. I pray, dear God, that you would help us understand 
who Jesus is. It not only changed people's lives 2,000 years ago, it changes lives today. Father, we know that there are churches all over this county, in this state, in this nation, and even in our world that are worshiping you, that are loving you, that are presenting your word faithfully, that are worshiping you with all of their hearts. We pray, dear God, that you would give a fresh vision of who you are and that your word would be so powerfully proclaimed. It would be like Jeremiah said, as a hammer and just changes and shatters the way we think. We love you, Lord, and and we want to hear from you today. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like, if you would, to turn your Bibles to John chapter 5. We're going to start at verse 16, and it's going to be absolutely critical before we go any further that we understand verses 16, 17, and 18. So if you don't have your Bibles, you can look up on the screen. But if you have your flat screens or Bibles, turn there. John chapter 5. And I'm going to start reading at verse 16 and just read these three verses. So the Jewish leaders began harassing Jesus for breaking the Sabbath rules. We're going to stop there. We're going to stop there. The Jewish leaders harassing, or the word even persecuting, or focusing on Jesus because Jesus was such a rat. Jesus was so evil. Jesus was an enemy of the synagogue. And he blatantly broke the Sabbath rules. Now, if you're with us last week, we talked a little bit about the Sabbath. We talked about what Jesus did. And Jesus had a whole different perspective of the Sabbath. He just did. And his heart was to be able to encourage people and to strengthen people and to heal people. But of course, if anybody understood what the Pharisees had been teaching, remember their oral tradition had developed 39 different ways on how to keep the Sabbath. How many steps to take, what you could cook, how you could wash, what kind of clothes you could literally put on before you would break the Sabbath. Because back in Exodus, when the Ten Commandments were given, God gave a principle. It says, hey, one day out of seven, we would like you to rest. It would be special. You don't work on that day. Whatever you normally do, you don't do on this day. It's a time to replenish. It's not a time to catch up. It's a time to bask in my presence. It's a time for me to be able to be part of your life in a different way. You need to be recalibrated every single week, Israelites and Christians, because life is so busy. So they made all these rules. And the Pharisees were really good at rule-keeping. And they wanted to make sure everybody else was rule-keeping. But can you honestly believe a man suffered for 38 years? Don't even know how bad it was, except that, well, 
eat, good, and enjoy life the way life intended. And so Jesus graciously heals him. I got to believe, again, he did a happy dance. He didn't really give God much credit, as we talked about. But he was given something, a gift, that he had not deserved. And what the Pharisees saw was that he was carrying his sleeping mat. Are you serious? I I mean, honestly. So instead of doing a happy dance together in all their robes, lifting them up, doing, you know, uh, whatever Jewish dancing happy people do, you know, all of a sudden there's this. You know, you, you guys all know that frown. Every time, you know, when you cross a line, you know if someone in the room is mad at you. Well, imagine like 57 and a half people doing this. Whoa, you're breaking the Sabbath. Hey, wait a minute. I haven't walked in 38 years, man. This is kind of cool. No, 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 no. 30. And you say, did you take grumpy pills today? What is your problem? How come you are just not absolutely rejoicing in what just happened? You're worried about me carrying my mat? Seriously? So here it is. The Jewish leaders are harassing Jesus for breaking the Sabbath rules. But Jesus replies. And again, it may not come through to you, but this is one of the most direct statements in all the scripture that says Jesus is God. He has a different set of rules. Let me explain. This is what he said. But Jesus replied, My Father is always working, and so am I. Well, what does that mean? You know? Well, back in Genesis chapter 2, if you read in the very first few verses, God is done with creation. And the scriptures tell us that he rested from his work of creation at that moment. God never said that he rested from work. But God said, hey, this creation thing that I just did is so amazing. I'm done. I'm going to rest. Now, to be quite honest, if God rested every seven days right now, our sun would not come up. The rain would not happen. The earth would spin off in some other kind of, you know, direction. Gravity would go crazy. I don't know all the other things that happen, but I am telling you that God is at work every moment of the day. And what Jesus said is this. Hey, let me remind you Pharisees that are so upset about this man carrying his mat and the healing that I did. My dad is always working. He's different than everyone else. And just so you know, I am only working. The only one in any kind of Jewish theology that worked all the time was God. We don't get it, but those guys got it. They're saying, hey, wait a minute. Are you telling me again that you and God are the same? 
that, that you continually work, that you have great authority over this work deal? And basically, Jesus said, yes. So, verse 18, the Jewish leaders tried all the harder to find a way to kill him. Whoa, this is an enemy of the people. He broke the Sabbath. If we look at it that way, that's absolutely crazy. But what he was saying is, I am God. Whoa. That crossed a line. That crossed a line. We have got to kill this man. There is no doubt. For he not only broke the Sabbath, he called God his Father, thereby making himself equal with God. So this is the context. And all the rest of chapter 5, which we're going to look at, all the rest of chapter 5, Jesus is speaking to this hostile crew. People who are mad at him. People who literally want to kill him right now. But listen how he addresses. Now one thing I would like to say, and there's a little bit of debate on this, but I think really this interaction probably takes place over days, if not weeks. I think Jesus actually presents this dialogue um, in a summary fashion rather than in a chronological order which so many of us, especially in the Western mindset, have. I think what John did as he recalled what happened is over these next few days when these Pharisees were harassing and persecuting and every time Jesus went anywhere, Jesus would remind them. Jesus would let them know. And Jesus didn't back off of him actually saying, I am God. Whoa. So Jesus claims he is God in seven ways. Let's look at these ways. Let's read through it. But the first thing Jesus says is that he is equal with God. Verse 19 and 20. So Jesus explained, I tell you the truth. The Son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the Father doing. Whatever the Father does, the Son also does. For the Father loves the Son and shows him everything he is doing. In fact, the Father will show him how to do even greater works than healing this man. Then you will be truly astonished. Jesus and the Father are united. Jesus and the Father do the same thing. They have different roles, but the same activity. And basically what Jesus is saying here is, hey, just wait. You think healing a man was pretty impressive? Just wait what God is going to have me do. So he aligns himself with God. He makes himself equal with God. The next thing, Jesus is the giver of life. Verse 21. For just as the Father gives life to those he raises from the dead, so the Son gives life to anyone he wants. So Jesus not only is equal with God, but Jesus says about himself that I literally am the one who enables life, who gives life. Then he goes on in verse 22, and he says, I also am the absolute authority. I am the judge. 
In addition, the Father judges no one. Instead, He has given the Son absolute authority to judge. Judges. Don't you hope for whenever you go into court, and, and I'm sorry, I'm, I'm sure some of you have never gone into court, but some of us have gone into court. And I'm just hoping, like, the judge is really fair and merciful, always hoping that he agrees with me or she, you know, which actually has never happened even once. But Jesus was the authority. He was the judge, and he's been given this absolute authority. Then Jesus is worthy of honor. Verse 23 so that everyone will honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Anyone who does not honor the Son is certainly not honoring the Father who sent him. And then Jesus says something like this. It absolutely blows your mind. He says that he determines the destiny of every human. There is no way that you can interpret this any other way because God is the only one that can do this. Look at verse 24. I tell you the truth, or in some of your versions, verily, 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 or if you again highlight or put squares around different verses, this is a key verse in this text. Jesus is saying, I want you to really understand this verse. Those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me have eternal life. They will never be condemned for their sins for they have already passed from death unto life. A person that receives my gift has life. Everyone else will be separated from me. Whoa. And then Jesus says that he will raise the dead. He has power that when someone has no breath in them, to call them forth. Verse 25, And I assure you that the time is coming, indeed it is here now, when the dead will hear my voice, and the voice of the Son of God, and those who listen, who can hear, are able to hear, will live. The Father has life in himself, and he has granted that this same life-giving power to his Son, exactly equal. And he has given him authority to judge everyone because he is the Son of Man. Don't be surprised. Indeed, the time is coming when all the dead in the graves will hear the voice of God's Son, and they will rise again. Those who have done good will rise to experience eternal life, and those who have continued in evil or do not have not responded will rise to experience judgment. Whoa. And then lastly, Jesus says this is that I absolutely do God's will. I am the one. Whatever God wants, I do. Verse 30, I can do nothing on my own. I judge as God tells me. Therefore, my judgment is just because I carry out the will of the one who sent me, not my own will. Now, if you take a moment, could you imagine, just put yourself, we've heard about Jesus, we've heard about the Pharisees. Most of us in this room probably recognize that Jesus is 100% God and 100% man. I'm not going to get a whole lot of arguments there. So when you read this, you go, okay, this sounds okay, this sounds good. Yeah, it sounds like Jesus. 
But put yourself in a Pharisee's position. Or, or this person who has a reputation of being born out of wedlock. Yeah, he's doing some of these miracles, but how could God honor him? I mean, the, the, the reputation that was spreading. And he comes, and imagine someone today saying, hey, wait a minute, my name is Pierre, and I want you to know there's seven things about me. First of all, I am equal to God. All Pierre has to do is say that one statement. And you're going, okay, let's go back up the truck. Let's bring this person right to where he needs to go and get some treatment. Well, Pierre just keeps going. He goes, hey, wait a minute. I'm not only equal with God, but I am the one that totally is capable of giving everybody life. Oh, boy, Pierre, you know. And I am the ultimate judge, and everyone should bow down and worship me. And I am personally going to determine everybody's destiny. That's what I get. And not only that, but by the very words of my mouth, people who are dead will rise from the dead. And I personally am so intimate with God that, well, whatever God wants to happen, I do. Of course you think either Jesus was crazy, a lunatic, or he was the Son of God. And even if we left it right there, I guess some people would say, okay, well, that's just Jesus' opinion. But Jesus indeed was God in the flesh, and he shared with the Pharisees five specific witnesses. I'm going to have Jeremy read for us, starting in John chapter 5, looking at verse 31. Uh, Follow along if you would. Again, the words will be up on the screen if you don't have it in your Bible there. If I were to testify on my own behalf, my testimony would not be valid. But someone else is also testifying about me, and I assure you that everything he says about me is true. In fact, you sent investigators to listen to John the Baptist, and his testimony about me was true. Of course, I have no need of human witness, but I say these things so you might be saved. John was like a burning and shining lamp, and you were excited for a while about his message. But I have a greater witness than John, my teachings, and my miracles. The Father gave me these works to accomplish, and they prove that he sent me. And the Father who sent me has testified about me himself. You have never heard his voice or seen him face to face, and you do not have his message in your hearts because you do not believe me. The one he sent to you, you search the scriptures because you think they gave you eternal life, but the scriptures point to me. Yet you refuse to come to me to receive this life. Your approval means nothing to me, because I know you don't have God's love within you. For I have come to you in my Father's name, and you have rejected me. Yet if others come in their own name, you gladly welcome them. No wonder you can't believe, for you gladly honor each other, but you don't care about the honor that comes from the one who alone is God. Yet it isn't I who will accuse you before the Father. Moses will accuse you. Yes, 
Moses, in whom you put your hopes. If you really believed Moses, you would believe me, because he wrote about me. But since you don't believe what he wrote, how will you believe what I say? Jesus literally desires for these Pharisees to have life. Jesus isn't just trying to prove his intelligence or trying to beat him up in a courtroom. Jesus is desiring more than anything that the Pharisees who are blinded by their religion might be able to see the hope that Jesus is offering. He is not trying to win the argument here. He is trying to win the Pharisees. And although all the things he had just mentioned that point to him and shout to him that he is God, he now appeals and uses five witnesses that every one of the Pharisees, if they were in a court of law, would say, yeah, I I agree with that. I do. First of all, he says God is a witness. In verses 32, 37, and 38, He says, I just want you to know that the Almighty God is witnessing and letting you know, affirming that I am His Son and am God. He talked about John the Baptist as a witness. And he said, hey, at first, you guys all like John's messages. But John was a forerunner of me, and he said, hey, I've come to prepare a way because the Messiah is going to come, the one who is going to establish the kingdom, the one who is going to make all wrongs right, and that person is Jesus. Then Christ said, my miracles are a witness. The things that I have done, for there is no normal person that can do this, And he said, the scriptures are witness. Hundreds of prophecies, which the Pharisees not only knew, but they memorized. They all point to me as Messiah, but you are refusing to believe. And lastly, Moses' words himself point to me. Now I ask this question because it's, it's got to roll around your head. Why wouldn't the Pharisees believe these witnesses? Why were they so antagonistic? Why could they not rejoice over a healing of a man that's been infirmed for 38 years? Why were they so bent out of shape because, well, their religion or their rules? were being compromised. Why couldn't they see? And what I want to say is this, is they were proud. They were proud. See, the Scriptures point to me, but you refuse the truth. You refuse the life that I have to offer. In fact, God hasn't given you life. So the very life that God wants to give you, you don't have, and so you don't even have God's love in you. That's why you're so harsh. That's why you're so ornery. 
But the way that I see it is that pride restricts belief. They would have to admit that they were wrong. They would have to admit that they put all their eggs in the wrong basket. That all the things that they were doing in and trusting in their good works to please God, it would have to change. You see, religion always feeds pride. Grace destroys pride. Now I'd be remiss, I think, if I didn't really talk just a little bit of Christ's deity. Because Christ's deity is a big deal. And let me share with you why. And I don't say this in order to beat up any other religions or people groups. But I think it's really important to understand why Jesus, the Son of God, our Savior, is important to understand. Because realistically, Muslims, Jehovah Witnesses, and Mormons, they all believe in Jesus. Every one of them. But they do not believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Let me just share with you, and again, I think this isn't supposed to be used for ammunition. It's supposed to be able to understand. Because no matter what religion is out there, if you can focus on who Jesus is, you will never go wrong. You you just won't. The Muslims believe Jesus was a prophet. He was born of a virgin, but was not divine. And that Muhammad himself was superior to Jesus as a prophet. The Muslims believe that Jesus was not crucified, but he was raised to heaven by Allah. And lastly, Muslims believe all humans are born without sin but corrupted in their life and therefore need to be saved by their works. The Muslims have no need actually for a Savior because they can attain everything they need to attain in their minds. Mormons, one of the fastest growing cults in America, They believe God is not a spirit, but an exalted man. That Jesus himself was a man who earned his God status, earned his God status and salvation. And that everyone actually can become like Jesus, a God themselves. Everyone, according to Mormons, is saved and going to heaven, except those who leave Mormonism. Lastly, Jehovah Witness, and actually probably the Mormons and those who are part of the Jehovah Witness cult, they are the ones that you may have the most interaction with as they come to your doors because they are so zealous. But Jehovah Witnesses believe Jesus is a lesser God than Jehovah. That Jesus is a created angel who is divine, but he's not equal to God. And that the soul ceases after death, 
but will be resurrected someday and given a second chance so that you can have eternal life. Now, I just got to be honest. Um, not only these religions, but religions all over are all about what you can do in order to please some kind of a deity. And at the end of your life, somehow, you stand before somebody hoping your good works weigh more than your bad works or deeds. I'll tell you, you live a life like that, you do everything you can to accomplish a feat that you don't even know about. Jesus Christ came 2,000 years ago. Unbelievable. God in the flesh. To live a life. To show us who God is and how God thinks and what God does. To eventually die on a cross. Who would think of that? To pay our debt. So that we might again be redeemed and restored. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Not anything that Rick did or anyone else in this room. Because all religion does is work out pride. Like the Pharisees. The Pharisees might have been the most proud people on the planet because they did so much. They understood so much of the Bible. They memorized so much of the Bible. But the question is, no matter who you chat with, do you believe what Jesus and the witnesses say about Jesus? This is a text that I think you go back to over and over and over again with comfort. Well, John wanted to make sure that he knew, or that we knew, that Jesus was the Son of God. Well, what did we learn about Jesus today? We learned that he was God. That he was God. And what did we learn from Jesus? That, that pride blinds us no matter what. And some of the hardest people in the whole world on this planet to witness to are those who are steeped in a religion. What I'm finding now is that there's a whole lot of people that don't know anything about religion or God, at least open. Because they realize that they're trying to find life in all the wrong places. Something else I learned with Jesus, that Jesus didn't have enemies. And I think this is the one that hit me the most. These guys want to kill him. I don't think I've ever been in a room where someone actually, like, literally wanted to kill me. I think sometimes they thought they wanted to kill me. But they wanted to kill Jesus. And his heart was this. I have words of life. You guys are going down the wrong path. You are so blind. I want you to experience 
what a relationship with God is. I don't want you to know more about God. I want you to know God. As people took up stones, as people riled things up, and eventually you know, Jesus' life was ended with a group of Pharisees who chanted and riled up multitudes to say crucify him. But I want you to remember when we get to Easter, back to this passage where Jesus said, I want you to have life. I don't know who's your enemy. Uh, that's, that's a strong word. How about, I don't know how many people don't, you don't really like hanging out with. How about that? But they need Jesus. They need Jesus. And we have the opportunity to share Jesus. You know, again, I don't know of everyone in this sanctuary, but maybe there is someone that they're struggling, never came to faith, never realized that Jesus is Savior and that he is God and wants to give life. Every week, after we're done, we have a prayer team up here. Not only to pray for you, but to help you understand who Jesus is and to give you an opportunity to become a son or a daughter. We'd love to walk with you on that journey to encourage you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your grace. We thank you again for always working for never taking a break. We thank you, dear Lord, that you loved us and understood our rebellious nature and chose to take the consequences of sin for us on the cross. Father, you showed your love. And we thank you. And so I guess as we started off that your love is enough. Our opportunity to focus and to receive goes well beyond anything we can imagine. We love you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for all that you have done. In Jesus' name, amen.